I just, I just went uh, down and shot some nil guy and pigs down in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I borrowed a cooler from him. <laughs> I brought actually three coolers and I didn't look at him. I get down there and we shot some nil guy and I pop open the cooler and there's elk blood in it from last year. And like everybody just instantly is like, <laughs> so careful what you borrow. Welcome to the Shoot to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, as always, Ryan Avery. I'm here with Jake Machaney. Today on the show, we have Shane and Kayla, the owners of Wiser Precision. Welcome to the show. Thanks for Thank having you. us. First and foremost. Are, are, are you just as fat as you were this morning? Dude, dude, I actually weighed in on the way home. Uh-huh. 215 and a half. <laughs> oh, you take a big shit? No, no, I just didn't <laughs> hydrate. So I'm trying to get the 180 by September 1st. Okay. So I said, we got to tell my weight on every podcast. Yeah. And then I have a, I can't say it because my wife will listen to this. I have a bet with my chiropractor on who's going to lose more by July, July 1st. So I can't say how much I'm. Is he chunky like you too, though? Does, does no, he have shit, as much no. opportunity to I, lose? I, no, I have. Oh, so you have the better end of that so stick. Mm-hmm. He wait, I weighed in. I went on a cruise. I went on a cruise. I was 219. I came back from the cruise. I was 224. <sighs> Sounds like a good cruise. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then I weighed in with that point in time. He's, I'm only 5'8. He's, I was 224. He's six foot and he was 228 so i have the upper hand you do definitely anyways more stacked pack tight pack tight (laughs) so is the is the bourbon good the bourbon is delicious yes thank you so this was uh that was suggestions from from colton bagnoli he's known as pap winkle he's a a a little bit of a celebrity on instagram there he's a shooter and He's been around. He's built rifles. He's a SWAT guy. Yeah. Now he's the Western Hunter. Writes for Western Hunter magazine. Nice. Uh, but he, I knew him to be a big bourbon guy. And when I was building this room, I messaged him like, "Hey, dude, I need some suggestions for good bourbon." Yeah. And you and are I the first bourbon, one to crack a bottle. So this is this Excellent. is a big this is a stepping it. off point. Just weird if you're drinking by yourself, right? Yeah. Because I I can't drink, I don't drink with the rice. <laughs> yep, so he's like, yep. I don't want to be the only one. So it's Colonel E. H. Taylor Small Batch. Shane, what's your thoughts? Oh, it's delicious. Yeah, this one I haven't had before. So when it was on there, and it was my pick, it was an easy pick. Is this the expensive one? Uh, it is an expensive one for sure. Yeah, I, I think of what's on the shelf there, I think it is the most expensive. I get a lot of you know hints uh, of cinnamon. I, no, you get cinnamon there. I mean, now that you've said it, I'll probably. Ah, oh, damn! Now. I should have asked you what you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, what we need to get is one of those. So Pap, we, the, he goes by Pap Winkle because Pap Winkle is a bourbon, and I guess there was like a ten year old one that's worth like thousands of bucks or something. Now we'll have to get a bottle of that. There was a Scotch on that cruise that was a thousand dollars a shot. Oh, and it was uh, Johnny Walker something. It was something Johnny Walker. Oh, really? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Do you not drink at all? Oh, I do. Okay. Yeah. You're just I, enjoy, I enjoy whiskeys. I, nice. Yeah. I like um, that and a Mexican mule. So a Moscow mule, but tequila instead of vodka. Cause I okay. Like vodka. Ooh. Yes. That so. sounds delightful. The I wife do, would like to hear that. I'm pretty, I, I like the foofy stuff. Like I like pina coladas. <laughs> <and> I, like, <laughs> I like whiskey. I like, I like it all. You like but, drinks with some calories in them. Yeah. I like <laughs> <laughs> I like to go hard in the paint with that stuff, but uh, I do. That sounds good. So my beach drink of choice is a tequila sunrise. Very okay. nice. And what is that? It is. Sounds like orange juice and tequila. Yeah. Orange juice, grenadine, tequila. Okay. There might be some other. That's how I make it because it's simple. Uh-huh. But you, you nice. know, uh, I think it's a Miami Vice. You ever heard of that? Mm-mm. And it's, I might mess this up. My wife's drink. It's tequila, pineapple, coconut, and one other, I think it's strawberry. Miami Vice, they call it, and there—that's her mm. beach drink of choice. Sounds good. Nice. You're pretty much just whiskey, Shane. Yeah, I drink a lot of whiskey. Um, I know I, I need to explore tequilas more, but like bourbons specifically is primarily what I drink. Uh, and then it's just like in the evening, like not really care what I'm drinking. Then it's just like a Jack and Coke. Mm. Very nice. I'm more if I had to drink. I do love drinking whiskey, but it's mostly Canadian side. Okay. So. I, I like the crowns and they're like malt thing. That's like, I could bring you another bottle of the Costco brand. Cause I'm cheap. I'm taking it with me. Oh, you take, go? It's right go there. I'm going bear hunting. I'm oh, taking that. There's the Costco nice. brand right there. There you yeah, go. Yeah. When you don't really care and it's a whole jug like down below. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's it. 
You don't get to just, you you just got to take it. I was going to tell you once we got up there. Oh, <laughs> so, so I go there and I have this drawer that I, that I kind of stash cash in like every once in a while as, as, as cash comes available. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I went and I counted it and it was like, it was like a thousand short of what was in my head. Like, cause I kind of, I kind of add up as I go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself that my daughter like got in the drawer and like took some of it, you know, or like you start like, like, I know that was off. That can't be right. I never thought it'd be my wife. Well, it turns out it was my wife. She admitted to it. And I said, do you know, I was going to have a talk with your daughter because you stole money from me. <laughs> Somehow I thought this was going to come back to you. Think I, I stole it. <laughs> that's where I, I was thinking this was going too. Because you were stealing the whiskey and the tell me later. No, no. That's what she did. No, it's not stealing if uh-huh. you tell them. Even if it's after the fact. <laughs> Even if it's later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was going to surprise you. With yes. yes. He was going to surprise the, the, the sober guy. I brought your whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Nice. Okay, we got to get into the origins of Wiser Precision. Okay. And I, I want to do a little different. I want to hear mm-hmm. Ayla's first. Okay, this oh. is good. And then yeah. yours. She will appreciate telling us. So uh, I'll just preface this. Kayla will speak yeah. here. Hey, but no, you can't give her no tips. You I'm not giving her any tips. I'm just saying yeah. the start of Wiser Precision in like the hunting side of things is thanks to Kayla because she's the one who got me into hunting. Oh, nice. You said, so you how said are you, you saying? didn't hunt. Wise or I wiser? Don't. Wiser. Nor did okay. I grow up hunting oh, or man. with a hunting family. Like my, I had grandpas who bird hunted, but that was it. Uh-huh. Well, tell us um, a story how you got him into hunting. Then. So we got married in June of 2016, lived in a tiny little one bedroom apartment and we were sitting there. It was probably like, well, it wasn't even bear season yet. So it wasn't August yet. So July sometime. And he's scrolling through the free section on Craigslist. He goes, honey, come in here. I come in and he goes, we could get a free bear rug. <laughs> Sound like a good and idea. I look, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, I didn't grow up in a hunting family, nothing. I'm like, you're not putting a bear rug on my wall. Like that is not part of my like living room decor. Um, and so I looked at him and at this point he was just a duck hunter. He did some bird hunting. Just he fished. See how she said just, he fished. There was just, no, yes. there was no big game hunting. And so I looked at him and I said, you can have a bear rug when you kill the bear. Nice. He went out that August yep. and started shoot. bear yep. hunting. Nice. Didn't, didn't get one that first year, but got one the next year. So there's there's a bear on my wall. Then there came elk. So there's a few elk in the house. and There would be no wiser precision if it wasn't for you then. No, there wouldn't. Nice. Yeah. So then, then he started thinking about products that he needed, things he needed to solve problems in the backcountry for himself and created them and reached out and saw if there was anyone else and there was a market for it. And so what pan head were you using that made you do this pan head? Uh, ball heads. So okay. there wasn't a pan head on the market that we had saw, um, or that I had seen that was interesting enough to talk. like the, the VA five is kind of the, the go-to gosh, things like over a pound. Yeah. And it's big. Yeah, it's big. And, and so before I got into hunting, I was into backpacking so then hunting for me was like, oh, I'm just like go to these areas where I normally backpack and I'll hunt around those areas. Um, so already had a pretty good understanding of, you know, yeah, weight does matter when you're out there, uh, especially when you're carrying, carrying kill kit and rifle and mm-hmm. all that, you know, optics and all that other crap. Um, so like looking at a pound for a tripod head just like did not compute for me. Um, so before that, I was using a little Leo Photo LH25 ball head. So tiny little ball head. But ball heads, like they're great for shooting from because you can level your rifle, you know, while you're making your point of aim. Um, so they're fine for rifles, but for glassing, they're kind of a pain in the butt because like you're not moving in that perfect XY coordinate plane. So I just found like it was really inefficient when I was glassing with the ball head because I would overlap really heavy from what I went over to make sure I actually looked at everything. Um, so it's like, okay, we gotta, gotta be some sort of pan head that will be light and is an actual pan head so I can grid out the hillside. Um, so that's like specifically, that was the impetus for the Nighthawk was just that like light and pan head. And was that your first product? No, no. So actually the first product was the Chrono Mount. Um, so I think you guys use lab radars, right? Um, I was into long range shooting before hunting, um, so for low development, I had the, the Magneto speed V3 and that thing was just frustrating that I had to strap it to the barrel all the time. Not so much from an inconvenience of getting it on the barrel and setting up, but just the point of impact shift. It's like, well, this is dumb. And it seems like there's an easy solution to this. 
So I think at that time there was one other, one or two other things on the market, but I didn't, I didn't like them. It's like, well, I think I can just make my own really easy. So it was just a 3d printer and some off the shelf components and made one for myself. And a bunch of buddies were like, yeah, this is really interesting. Hmm. And I think it was the uh, Pacific Northwest long range Facebook group just like threw it up there. Like, Hey, I made this thing. Like, what do you think? And a whole bunch of guys were like, take my money. Like, are you making more of these? So then it was just like a couple grand to buy some components and made a, I think it was like 70 that I did for the first batch and they sold out like instantly. Hmm. Um, so the Corona mount was the first product. Um, and then came the quick sticks. So the quick sticks was actually on that first bear that I actually got my bear. Um, it felt like setting up, like it took me forever to find a shooting location and like realistically it was maybe five minutes of searching for a shooting position but in my head from that like long range background and not even getting into competitions yet just like okay well i gotta get prone like that's how i have to make this happen um and it was only a 200 yard shot but far enough that i was like okay i'm I'm gonna get prone and like i said it felt like i was searching forever for this shooting location and everywhere that i'd get and drop down the nine inch bipod was just not quite it. The Atlas just didn't quite cut it for me. So pick up and move and drop down again. Okay. I can't quite see over that rock or this brush or whatever. Eventually got it done. But I was thinking like, I already had trekking poles with me. Like this is sort of dumb. Like I already have these with me. These have to be a bipod. Like that has to be a thing. So then got home. Like, I think it was probably that night. I know it was at least that week started looking, couldn't find anything. So then started designing something for myself like this, I have to solve this problem. And then threw that out to buddies as well. And they were all very interested. Um, so yeah, the quick sticks were the second product. The quick sticks are interesting because they're so now that I have them, I have not used them, but I think back of all the times I could have used them Mm -hmm. that I needed them. And I never thought about using them as a backrest until I talked to you at the Bighorn show. Yep. And you had showed me a picture of how you guys did it, but my first elk, I got using those as a, a rear rest. Those should be on every set of trekking poles out there, in my opinion, if you're a hunter. And then especially if you hunt any kind of terrain, like, you know, this yeah, steep, super steep where you're shooting Canyon Canyon, you know, and usually they're pretty tight mm-hmm. is ingenious. Yeah. It's interesting that nobody came up with that and bam. Yeah. We've had so many folks who are like, oh man, you, you made my idea. Like so many people are like, yeah, I thought this should be a thing and never did anything with it. So. Which goes back to the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, you, you just know, you got to a lot do of ideas the thing. out there. Yep. Yeah, ideas ideas are great, but uh if it never goes beyond that, then it's sort of worthless. Yeah. Like I just that. watched that there's a movie on Amazon Prime right now about uh the not the birth of Nike, but the birth of the Air Jordan Air shoe. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that? It's like a know. somewhat like a documentary. But uh the guy what is his name? He played on the Martian, the Mars Martian movie. Yeah, Matt, Damon. Matt Damon. So Matt Damon uh he takes it upon himself when he wasn't supposed to, to go to Michael Jordan's parents' house to convince them to go with Nike over Adidas and Puma. But when he gets there, the mom ends up taking him to the backyard and sits down with him. And she says, you know, it's because you came, she says something along the lines of like a lot of people think about doing things, but rarely do people do it. And the mm-hmm. fact that he actually, you know, well, basically yeah. put his career on the line to go to the house to fucking make it happen. Yep. And the guy that said, Let's make a red shoe. Yeah. Because in NBA, you had to have mostly white with a little. Well, they had color. to pay fines. Mm-hmm. They had to pay yep. a fine every game yep. to get him to rock the red shoe. We'll mm-hmm. say, we'll pay the fine. Yeah. Let's have him wear these red. He Nobody freaking had made it happen. Yep. That's also the first time uh, that a player negotiated for a percentage of the sale of everything that had his name on it. So that was the first time in, in professional sports history that a player got a percentage of, of a product like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I only watched part of it. My wife watched it. Good. I took the good parts in. I wasn't even going to watch it. She wanted to watch it. And then I'm not that, I'm not a documentary guy. Well, not documentary, like foo-foo. Yep. I don't like, I like documentaries. I don't, you do, you like this stupid shit, but. I like sci-fi stuff. I like. I like sci-fi. We're way off tangent. The Chrono Mount Pro. One thing I like, I have, I have a uh, Magneto. And I use yours because I can actually zero and test the load without, yep. I pretty much use the lab radar. But the thing I like about the Magneto is it reads all the time. Mm-hmm. And 
until yep. I got his lab radar. Mine read 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Ryan so, can break anything. <laughs> I'm a great tester. That's very bold of you to uh, lend your, your lab radar. It wasn't by choice. I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. He probably just stole it like the, yeah, like he, the whiskey. It's huh? next to the so, whiskey. I, I just went uh, down and shot some nil guy and pigs down in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I borrowed a cooler from him. <laughs> I brought actually three coolers. And I yeah, look at him. I get down there. And we shot some nil guy and I pop open the cooler and there's elk blood in it from last year. And like everybody just instantly is like, uh, uh. so careful what you borrow. I left a surprise in one cooler. Uh, There's one cooler. It was brutal. Uh-huh. Brutal. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So you're on, on the pan head. The cool thing about your pan head is every, well, everything you have is American made. Correct. Mm-hmm. Have you found that? Is there any upgrades coming to it or have you found something that's a flaw? I mean, not flawed, but something you would improve now that you've it's been out for a couple of years? Yeah, I think that I, I'm very pleased with the Nighthawk. Um, I, I, there's no planned improvements to that. Um, we've left it open that we can put different camera bases on it, but the Arca Swiss is just so, so standard now, like everybody's running that. Um so, I mean, you can change out like Manfrotto is maybe the next most popular. So if guys want to put the Manfrotto, they can put that on there. But for us, there's not enough demand to do that. Um, Everything on the rifle side sticking with Arca. Exactly. For sure. So, I mean, that was like one thing initially I thought, okay, yeah, we'll come out with some different camera bases, but I don't think so. I mean, that one I'm pretty pleased with. Um, yeah. So on the Nighthawk specifically, I think that's like, I, I think yeah. that we did a really good job. And like I said, all made in the USA. Um, pretty pretty happy yeah. with that. I was really surprised to hear that you you do anal yourself. Yes, That's not yeah, I mean, it's like often. raw goods come in and finished products go out. That's awesome. Yeah, and like you said, to eliminate any 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 bottlenecks or yes. having to wait on anal shop things like that. Usually, we're sending stuff to anal all the time, and it, you know it's two weeks. Sometimes it could be five days or seven yep. days, but most of the time it's two weeks, and and having to wait on that, you know, yep. and then it comes back, and it's not always perfect. Yes. Yeah, and, and we, we have batches that go through that aren't always perfect too, but at least we know like right away. Uh, but like I was describing, to, you know, telling you earlier, uh, especially when we were first starting out with aluminum products and anodizing, like it, it was almost a necessity that we had to um, make and run our own anodizing line just because of, you know, meeting minimum quantities for batch and the lead times in between. Yeah, you know, like, the made we way almost, too many. Yeah, exactly. We we're like almost doing made to order almost when we were, when we were first starting out. So it was just sort of a necessity and now that we're there, the, the, um, throughput that we have and the, um, just managing the process is it's so much nicer that we don't have to send something out for a couple of weeks. It's like, okay, we're machining parts today, tonight or tomorrow morning, we're anodizing and then we're assembling and then go out the next day. Like mm-hmm. the turnaround is so fast. Nice. I like the point that you also have <clears throat> on your tilt mechanism. You also have the little lever. Yes. Yeah. We because, gave the option. Yeah. That's you not want to be cheap. a weight weenie. Like, yeah. Well, it's yep. an extra thing is most people would charge you extra. Oh, sure. Yes. And you guys, mm-hmm. when I bought it from you at the uh, Bighorn show, yep. took me a second. I was like, what is this other yeah, what's contraption? This and now I run it. I kind of run it 50, 50. I'm running a big spotter mm-hmm. on it. I'll use a short one if I'm yep. running a little spotter, but we were just out bear hunting. And his son shot a rock off that tripod with that head. 24 degree fucking angle. Yep. It's for what? Six and a half ounces. It is stout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's six flat with the, uh, with the handle on there and you just set then you're in like four, four, nine, I think. So yeah, it is. It is actually to your point. It is stout and works very well for shooting off of. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. funny as you kind of came out of nowhere. Cause I use the, um, uh, outdoorsman's micro mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. and yours is half the weight. And is not it's either as sturdy or a little sturdier with heavy like a a ninety five or a BTX. Yep. Because I looked at your tri- I looked at that when I got it. You know, and I was like, "There's there's no freaking way." And I yeah. was talking to Matt Cash who did the review on Rockslide. Mm-hmm. I was like, "You think this thing will handle a BTX?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, no problem." Yep. I was like, mm. "So I put it out in the yard, and sure enough, little tiny six and a half ounce head." Yep. Yeah, we get that question a lot. Like, what what sort of like spotter will this thing support or what can we do on this um we've had a couple of customers i've used with the swirl 95 uh one in particular who actually like emailed back he was just saying like hey thanks for the great product like worked out fantastic and he just sent a photo with it and it was the whole quick stick system but the nighthawk and then a btx 95 on there so i just sent a message like hey thanks like just out of curiosity 
Like, how did that work for you? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I know that's like kind of beyond its use case, but like, honestly, like worked out really well. And primarily speaking to the whole quick stick tripod system, uh, he's like, if I got tucked out of the wind and sat down, like it actually, it worked great. He's like, I couldn't believe it. Spotted a coyote at five miles away on that setup. Nice. Like, I love it. Nice. Are you going to make a tripod? Yeah, it's uh it's been a thought. It's not a huge priority. Um we really really like made in the USA. Mm-hmm. Um US carbon is so expensive. Um that's kind of been the only thing that's like slowed down any any process on that is that it's well, can we make something at a competitive price? Right. Or is it just going to be like, yeah, we can we can make the product and it's going to be a very nice product. Um but it's going to be, you know, a $1000 tripod or, you know, yeah. similar with trekking poles. Like, well, well then it's going to be $350 pair of tracking poles. There's a market, right? Really right yeah. stuff. And outdoorsman's went for it and it's $1,400, $1,300 and they're selling like hotcakes. Yeah. So all it takes is a little money. Yeah. Right? It takes yeah. money to get money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People will buy it. You already have the head. Might as well sell the whole package. Yeah. I'm, I'm joking, but kind of not. Imagine you'd make a hell of a tripod. If anything like your head, you'd make a heck of a tripod. So the quick clips. Mm-hmm. Look at your website. Tell us about the quick clips. I have not seen these. I've nor oh, have really? I heard of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that came out pretty quick too. I think that was product number three. So from the get-go. Luke, keep the, up on the TV there. Put the quick clips up there. Yeah, and I'll just keep talking while he's <laughs> doing sit on your hands. Damn, Luke, what are you doing out there? <laughs> it looks like he's sleeping. We'll catch up. He's probably eating, getting food or something. <laughs> yeah, Go so on, on that bear hunt uh, and, and being like a long-range guy, it's like, okay, Shooting sticks are great, but what I really want is a bipod. Like I want something connected to my gun so my offhand is free so I can manipulate a rear bag. Like that's that's what I want. And the trekking pulse should do it. Um so from day one of the quick sticks, um, I knew that they were gonna be a bipod somehow. Um, so we started again from day one having that ring machined on the outside of them so that something could interface there. Um and then it was Gosh, I think that that summer that we started selling, I think even before we started selling the quick sticks, we had the quick clip prototyped and I was you know messing around with that. Um, and that came out the following summer. Um, but that was basically just like I knew from the beginning, like shooting sticks are great. But what I really that want, was the right one. Just play with the pictures on that one. Yeah, so there's the quick sticks. And okay. I think they actually do. If you go down, you can see the quick clip on the very bottom. Yeah, right. Actually, no, that is just quick sticks I'm resting in. Um, but yeah, so so the quick clip is just this other little gizmo that clamps to Arca Swiss rail or a Picatinny rail. And then has well, I don't, a horse I don't mean to interrupt you, but that is how I never thought of using it. Oh, them. yeah, it's a rear rest. Yep, as a rear rest. So that's Check ingenious. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, that's so huge with any <clears throat> tool you have and any field position that you're going to take on an animal. You have to be flexible in what you're doing. and the more that you can like just sit and think about shooting positions and practice shooting positions at home, that's just something else in your your mental quiver that you can pull out in the situation. Yeah, at no at no weight penalty. The quick exactly. sticks are what three ounces? What are they? Yeah, I think they're like two two point four with all the heavy hardware installed. So two point three eight. Yeah, I don't know what they are with you're, all the light. You're hardware literally <clears throat> taking trekking. Most people are taking trekking poles everywhere. It's a give me. You can mm-hmm. make the shot or break the shot, having yep. those or not. Yeah, you know, as he was trying to put when you're practicing with Mason on that yeah. 24 degree, yeah, I'm sure he probably could have splayed those out and used that on the back. That's the only time mm. I take a sticks everywhere, but I changed backpacks that trip, and that's the only time I didn't have my sticks. Yeah. We're bear hunting. It's not like I always yeah. say it's not like real hunting. Yeah, <laughs> in North Idaho. Oh man, let's see bear bear black bear hunting is oh I love it. No, no, I mean it's yeah. far as we do a lot of bait hunting. So oh, it's, I got it's you. not yes. um, like you guys in Western Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, your state's jacks going to have a spring yes, season. Yes, we don't have a spring season anymore. But it, that shit's hunting. Yes. You guys go after those bears. Yeah, yeah. But last year's bear, it was just like a week. Well, it was a midweek thing because I can do that. Um, but four miles and 4,000 feet of elevation gain with overnight gear to go kill a bear. And yep. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that is, yes, I think it's real hunting as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I'm not knocking. I love bait. I love killing bears any way yeah. I can. But yeah. it's not as physical baiting bears and hunting right. them. Sure. When you it's kind of off topic on your bears, mm-hmm. how do you, was your first bear that Kayla talked about a spring bear? No, nope. So that was a fall bear. How are those huckleberry bears over there? Pretty good. So good. Okay. Yeah. And especially like when we were first like, like, okay, going to kill a bear and like doing research on it. Like you hear so many horror stories and it, it probably goes with like all wild game that oh, I just taste game or it's gross or whatever. 
I heard a lot of that about bears. So I was a little nervous. Um, all of the bears that we kill over there are huckleberry bears and they mm-hmm. are freaking delicious. Uh, how, how do you eat them? Yeah. So what do you process? What do you turn it into? Yeah, we do. We've done a lot of sausage. Um, we did it all ourselves. The first one we did it all in ourselves, our kitchen. The first one. I came home one Sunday afternoon to him with my kitchen aid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grinding up. The Grinding bear. up. We did, we did our first bear. elk ourselves too. And then never bear again. Yeah. From the little accessory ring on the kitchen aid <laughs> mixer for a while. Not made for that kind of. <laughs> it took a long time. Yeah. Uh, I haven't tried canning yet. That's on the to do list. Um, we've even just barbecued it as well. Um, and it's been really, really good. My favorite that I've had so far. And unfortunately, like, I, I haven't gotten a bear with like tons of fat on it yet. Yeah. But in the mountains, it doesn't really matter. Like you take what fat's there mm-hmm. and you render it down and you deep fry, you know, tenderloin backstrap, whatever in that. So freaking good. Like yeah. that's the deep frying it in itself is probably my favorite way to eat it. Um, we just opened up a bear ham from 2019 bear that had been smoked and sitting in its cure or its brine or whatever for like years. Like it was like a month ago I opened it up. Yeah. Um, so a good family friend did it for us. And then we had we had our kid. So this yeah, it was probably like a month ago. Uh Barry and his wife Carrie came by to see. Evan, our new baby, and he brought this ham that he had of of my bear from uh, a couple of years ago, and that is like maybe my good. my next favorite way to eat it. I I don't I need to ask it like exactly what did you do to this, um, but that was delicious, like mm. dry and like fall apart in your mouth. Um, it's and amazing. Nice. There's still some in the fridge. <laughs> well, I've been saving. Barry needs to try some, so I've been saving some for him. <laughs> what a nice guy. Those I don't like spring bear steaks. Like back, I'm not like I pretty much turn everything into a spring into a sausage. Mm-hmm. Or I love breakfast sausage, like hot breakfast sausage. Yeah. I love <clears throat> to make it in like Italian sausage for spaghetti. But it's fall bears that have been on huckleberries. They just are. I'll eat those steaks. They yeah. are so sweet and yep. tender, and they are great. Great. Makes a fat kid happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be 225 if I shoot those bears. <laughs> Frying bear and bear fat sounds pretty nice. Awesome. Oh, that is try that. Yeah, you have to try that. That is that is money. And especially, like, I'm sure everything in uh, air quotes here, elk camp tastes delicious. Bear camp tastes right. delicious. Uh, but objectively, it's delicious, too. Yeah. I'm going to bring a bunch of game meat up to our bear camp. Yeah, well, I got. <clears throat> I just got some bear sausage. No, it's elk summer or breakfast sausage from him. I'm gonna. I'm even gonna cook, which is really out of the, off the cuff. I've never seen that happen before. Oh, I got him really. Usually, I'm just a grazer. It's the trough. Not only oh, that, but ready. but he talks <laughs> shit while he's eating. Well, if, you it know. T- if it tastes like shit, you gotta know about it. Oh no no no! You didn't help make it. You don't you get don't have, to complain. Uh, there you That's go. My I'm, rule. I'm nice. Really, I'm really bad about that, but you'd probably make. Be, Probably be fine. Make good stuff. You'd make great stuff. Jake's. Mm, mm. <laughs> like I made better. We had a spaghetti cook off here. Oh fuck! <laughs> and uh, Jake took. Did he take dead last or? I it took, was a faulty judge panel. I took second. <laughs> so, oh. I'm just saying. The judging panel was I skewed. I wouldn't go bragging about that. You'll be cooking at camp. Oh. You didn't put no fat in this. Luke, you got me cooking. You better fucking do some camera work. I I am. Why aren't you cooking? Well, you know what sucks is Billy, Jake likes to cook. I don't like to cook. Billy likes to cook, but Billy's not. You know, Billy George, he lives over on the west side. He's a fireman over there. He's not coming. So it's all on you, bro. Outside Mm. of my couple brunches. Luke's going to cook some breakfasts. Breakfasts? Luke. Well, we'll see how he does. He's a first timer. He's killed a one deer at 30 yards that he missed at 18, something like that. You know, this is our marketing guy. He, he, asked, he hasn't been here for long. This, this is a rifle? Yeah, it was worth a 30. Right, Luke? 30-30 rifle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, he sandbagged us on his interview. Yeah. He yeah. said he was a hunter. Yeah. I mean, now he's telling us, all I have is a 30-30. <laughs> he's just, we're saying, hey, you want to go bear hunt with this weekend then come up next week? And he's like, well, I do, but I just want to shoot one with my 30-30. <laughs> <laughs> we're just giving him a hard time he's a good dude oh he's a great guy yeah he's gonna hopefully kill a bear he only wants to kill a bear by himself he wants to go on some rambo mission mm-hmm. put like eye paint on and there you go he doesn't want help doing it that's what he just told us i'm like dude come out this weekend get you a bear he's like i don't want to just walk up and like shoot it you know <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> what i want to know is now and i know you're listening luke is in two or three or 10 years from now, when you haven't killed one with the 30-30, you're uh, going to let us help you? Yeah. 
Nothing. He hasn't said nothing. <laughs> Crickets. So Kayla, what is your, are you in the business day to day or um, are you not? Pretty much. I do all of our customer service. So I open up the computer. I answer emails before the kids get out of bed. And then while the kids nap. Um, nice. Yeah. Keep this guy fed with coffee. Yep. How many employees? Uh, one full-time and a couple part-time. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, describe them as life-giving, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I used to do all of our shipping, order fulfillment, all of that. Um, and it got a little tricky when I was pregnant with our third. Got really sick and fitting it, we grew too much to fit it within nap time. So every nap time, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I was out in the shop and then running Ooh. to the post office. So now I just take them to the post office once our people help and get that done and... Shipping is the most underrated part of a small business. Yeah. It sucks. It's a time suck. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. A time yes, suck. it is. Which is why I took it over. It was uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago. He went hunting well, and it was. used to be that if he left hunting, and everything so stopped. Incompetent we now just, when I have to fulfill orders. He does. He's really You're slow. like, uh, uh, <laughs> I know the pain. We no. literally brought all of our shipping here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably how I will feel when I fill in because i i sub for our shipping sub for the shipping yeah but yeah. no very thankful to have passed that on it's like i did the shipping and then 10 my wife took over the shipping and when i would have to do it she'd be somewhere i'd be like same thing I'd be like okay hopefully this sucker gets here i hope this is the right label hope this is even the right person or package see ya <laughs> and inevitably five days later be like I got the wrong muzzle brake. <laughs> well, and I'm a very organized, like, systems person with everything. Like, how can I streamline anything? And so I feel like I revamped kind of how we do it a yeah, little bit. Like, put I, I all the say, stickers on the envelope, then grab the product. Don't sticker and grab the product. Like, it's just so slow. Touch it once kind of a deal. Yeah, and kind of forced to, too. Like, when I was yeah. doing everything, um, I could. because it was Like just the way kinda, you said that, when I was doing everything. Yeah, like. Everything. Oh, he yeah. used to, I mean, he'd go to work, work a full-time job, come home. You know, he'd machines, go into work at like 3 a.m. so he could come home before the post emails. office closed to get everything packaged into the post office. And this was pre-kids, so I was still working. Yep. And yeah. It was, what it takes in the beginning. Yeah. yeah what nuts. did you do pre-Wiser Precision? Uh, I was a control systems designer. So I worked on uh, a few oil refineries there along the coast of Washington. Uh, so almost a decade I was doing that. Um, yeah. And it was it was a, a really enjoyable job um i would say of the of the like work for other people jobs i've had like really enjoyed that everybody in in that industry in that space that engineering space they're very intelligent and very reasonable um money was good um yeah enjoyed it but after doing it i mean it didn't even take a decade of doing it but after doing it for several years it didn't matter how cool and crazy the process was and what fancy alloys we had to use for this valve because of all this insane pressure drop and the caustics in it. It was still just moving fluid through a pipe and connecting wires <laughs> to read what was happening in that pipe. Mm. Um, so just, yeah, started, started getting a little dull. I imagine. Caleb, I know being a mom's a full-time job. What was your life besides being a mom before Wiser Precision? I was a substitute teacher. So Ooh. I went to WSU Ooh. to become a high school math teacher and then we got married right after, and I moved across the state. So I grew up in Walla Walla, was in Pullman, got married day after that, moved across the state. So I didn't know anybody and I, decided I, I wasn't going to teach full time. I always heard that a cougar is better than a dog. Is that true? Uh, yes. Just. 100%. Um, but yeah, so I decided to substitute teach that first year while I kind of got my bearings with the whole married life, being a wife and meeting new people in a new place. And then stuck with that for four and a half years. I taught some first grade. I taught some music for a little bit and yeah and we knew that we were going to have kids relatively soon so yeah making the making the jump to be like a full-time teacher is like oh, i'm gonna do this for like a year or maybe two and then quit well that's one of those things that everyone's like well you'd make more money if you taught full-time i said great and i'd have less time so what am i going to do with my more money mm -hmm. i'm not going to do anything fun with it what what age well so with subbing i got to teach k through 12 so I did a lot of elementary and a lot of high school. I am not a fan of middle school. I was like, man, I'm, I'm such a little dick to substitutes. I can't imagine being a substitute teacher. That's They're right. High there. school, I can get sassy with them. Yeah. I can kind of give the attitude back and they get it. Middle school, you can't. Like they just don't understand. They don't grasp it. But 
in my mind, you should be old enough not to act like that. I would agree. My wife told me that yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) There were a couple times I'd come home and he would kind of just be playing like, what? What'd you say? What'd you say? I'm like, no, no, no. I spent all day with second graders doing that. You get to act your age. (laughs) 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 Not coming home to that. Uh, So what's, uh, why is precision? What's on the horizon? Oh, well, we got to talk pulleys. Yes. Because that was kind of the talk that on Rockslide, talk of the expo oh yeah why why pulleys and when are they going to be available yeah so the the pinch pulley is the name of the pulley is a pulley um, is, it, is it on your website it's not yet no it'll it'll be i'm hoping into this week like literally all that i have to do now is shoot a video saying hey here's what the pinch pulley is and why it exists and how it can help you um but we've been kind of busy and obviously out of town right now um, so as but, long as it's not raining when we get home. Yeah, I know. If it's nice out, go in the backyard and shoot that video. And- <laughs> I imagine that's a every, you got to watch that every day because it seems to be raining all the time. Yes. Oh yeah. We get a lot of rain there. Um, yeah. So the pinch pulleys, uh, a ultra light pulley, a pinch pulley because it's designed to be used like in a pinch. Like you don't always need pulleys with you. And I never took them with me. Uh, and they came about, this was 20, I think this was 2019 season. Um, in Idaho, me and my buddy, El Cunton, um, he ends up killing a mature bull. Um, like antler wise, he wasn't, he wasn't huge. I think we taped him out and he was like 286 inches or he taped him out. I think 286 inches, six point. So like a respectable mature six point body wise, he was a freaking pig. Um, all cut and wrapped meat. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember we yielded like I can't remember poundage wise, but we, we each had a, a 160 quart cooler, each of us and mm-hmm. his elk alone filled up one and a half of them. This is Roosevelt? Uh, no, Rocky Mountain? this was Rocky Mountain. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was in Idaho. Um, so substantially, you know, substantial mass to this animal. Uh, when he died, he was running downhill and plowed himself headfirst underneath this blowdown. And it took us like an hour and a half just to get him unburied from that tree, like antlers all tied up underneath their shoulder buried. It took us like an hour and a half just to get him unburied and literally pulled five feet away from the tree to hang his belly on this stump and start cutting on him. Mm. So that was brutal. And there was two things that we said. The first is his brother was playing wazoo football at the time. So we need like 250 pounds of BJ here right now, please. <laughs> That's option number one is we have him. And the other thing is like, we've got to have some sort of block and tackle or pulleys or something for this scenario, but you really don't need it all the time, or at least the way that we hunt, like I wouldn't use pulleys all the time. So it has to be so ridiculously light and small that you'll always have, you know, however many I carry four in my kill kit. And I don't even think about having them there. Um, so the, the largest of the two sizes, um, what we showed at Hunt Expo and what we showed at uh, the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show in Portland was the 550 size. That's the larger of those two. Um, that is, we're advertising it 0.2 ounces. Realistically, they're a little less than that. Um, so you carry five of those things in your pack and that's one ounce for five pulleys. Hmm. Um, so stupid light, like no reason not to have it. Um, and pretty ridiculously strong too. So like that 550 size, um, pulley, the tensile strength on it. Do you guys remember? Did I play this quiz with you at all? I think you did, but okay. Over 1500 pounds. Mm. tensile strength for those little things. And you're right. You don't need it every time, but when you freaking need something like that, you need, yes, I've had two elk die in, you know, root wads where trees have tipped over and there's a big hole Two elk. And after I saw that, I was like, man, I could have really used those because by myself, one of them was by myself. One, somebody showed up later Yep. and I literally had to cut as I went to get the animal out. Yep. Those, I could have, you know, yarded out the back end, cut Mm -hmm. it, yarded out the front. So it's kind of ingenious. Yep. And that's like one of those deals. Like I, I never took pulleys with me. Like, yeah, okay. Maybe I'd run into a scenario where I need them, but I'm not going to need it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take something. And like a light pulley is an ounce a piece. So I'm not going to take you know, something that's probably like an, an inch cube or larger than that. And over an ounce a piece on the chance that I need it until I got in that situation. I like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. I need it now. <laughs> and it's like the same thing. It's kind of like we just came out with Tika rings. It's like, mm-hmm. why hasn't anybody thought of this? Yeah. That's why we're here. Yep. So on the horizon, mm-hmm. any, you got any sneak peeks? You got any dirt? You got anything yeah, you may I'll or say, may not be doing? Yo, know, there's, there's <laughs> every idea that I have, I write it down now. Um, cause otherwise it'll, it'll go away. Um, and anyway, so we've got a, uh, idea list of like 
30 items deep. Um, what should be at next show season is uh, a binocular adapter of ours that we're doing things. Uh, hopefully people see that, that we do things different and it's to solve needs in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a bino adapter prototype that should be at show season. Um, that's doing things unique in a meaningful way. Um, and then a whole bunch of other stuff geared towards backcountry hunting as well. But that's the one that's close enough along. Like next season we'll have one of those. So, so you're saying nice. January ish. Yeah. January ish. That should be, gotcha. should be a thing on those pulleys. Can you, can you, for the listeners, maybe walk them through a scenario, how you would set up a pulley, you know, for this, for this mm-hmm. basically 0.2 ounces yeah. and, and what it does for them. Yeah. So that, uh, four of those little, uh, you know, at 0.2 ounces a piece. So you're, you're actually less than an ounce for four of those and you're close to three quarters an ounce for four of those things. Um, that lets you build a five to one leverage advantage. Um, depending how you rig them up, you could do like a couple two to ones or multiple. So there's like, so you pull up to your elk, your elk's down in a root ball hole, right? And you gotta, there's some trees around Mm -hmm. and you got a hundred feet of paracord in your, in your pack there. What, What are they doing? Yeah. So in that scenario, you're tying off an anchor line on, your elk, wherever, wherever it makes sense to pull him from his butt out from mm-hmm. your rear legs out, or, or maybe it's on his head around his antlers, you're pulling him out. So you're tying an anchor line there and then you're anchoring a set of pulleys. So two pulleys up on a stump or a tree, something nearby, like in the direction that you want to pull and you'll run a ru- run a rope up through one of those pulleys back through another pulley at your elk back to the second pulley on the tree and back to the second pulley mm-hmm. on your elk. And then you're pulling away from your elk. Yeah. And in that scenario, you've built that a five four to, to one. Five That's to actually, one. Yeah. Yeah. And that, in that scenario, it's a five to one. So based on where you put your anchor line, if your anchor line was on the tree, then you're only a four to one. If your anchor's on the elk and you're pulling away, that's a five to one. Okay. Um, so that's the most bang for the buck of like oh, yeah. airing pulleys and, and cordage of, you know, length of rope. So instead of moving a hundred pounds, you can move 500 pounds. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yep. Like literally on that one, I could have took it straight up to one of the roots sticking yeah, up. Yeah, just lift it up. Yeah. And I could lift it like a foot and a half, but that's it. If yeah. I had five to one, I could have probably tied him up to where, you know, it's reasonable to cut a hind yes. off oh, yeah. and then move it and then cut a hind off mm-hmm. to where every piece of meat was a fight in that hole because yep. I'm in an awkward bent over situation, yep. you know, and your feet are above your head. It's a, just terrible. Yeah. So, or in our genius. scenario of that elk that died in that bad spot, like it was so comical. <laughs> I, I wish I could have been a fly on, on the wall, like just watching the two of us try to wrangle this thing. Uh, the first time, and we think this was like the, the third elk that we had killed together. Um, so we'd done the like, okay, grab it. One, two, three, pull. The first time that we grabbed onto this guy and did the one, two, three, pull, both tugged and pulled and he didn't like <laughs> at he laughed he laughed at you when he was dead oh we turned and looked at each other and eyes got big like oh this is different <laughs> okay this is how it's gonna go huh. so yeah if we had some pulleys we could have turned an hour and a half of like miserable exhausting uh toil into probably half an hour of like okay he's out now let's start cutting hmm. i wanted to ask you too so you said that you filed for a patent on the pulley yes Give us kind of a high level overview of that process from the, uh, the small business entrepreneurial yeah. perspective. Yeah. From the small business, I'll say in, in, in particular lens of small business, if there's other guys out there like, yeah, I got this idea and I'm kind of like interested in protecting it. Um, getting patents, especially if, if you aren't competent enough to write the patent yourself, it can be extremely expensive, like on the cheap end, probably still budget 10 grand. And on the expensive end, budget over 20 grand. Um, you can do it cheaper to start. So like through the lens of like small business, um, you can do a um, provisional patent application. So those are really cool because you're, you're kind of filling out a patent application. It, it looks a little different. Some of the rules are slightly different, um, but you're filling out this patent application and submitting it and it will never get looked at. And in a year that invention becomes public knowledge and, and it's free. Um, to anybody to make that thing. But within that year, it lets you legally put patent pending on something and just test the market. Like, okay, is this, can I sell enough of these to recoup the actual cost of the patent? Or am I not selling enough of these that the patent really doesn't make sense? Um, and I, I shouldn't be throwing money at that, but at least now I was able to put patent pending on it and test the waters on, on the cheap side of things. Um, so that's what you're at with, with the provisional with the pinch pulleys. We decided to do it that yeah. way. Um, I was kind of blown away by how much interest there was at hunt expo and at the Portland 
um, Pacific Northwest sportsman show. Um, for me, it's like, yeah, I, I had that scenario and have a very real need for something like this, but I wasn't really sure like, okay, are every, is everybody else going to have a need? Like I have a need. Um, and was kind of blown away how fast we sold out of inventory on those pulleys at each of those shows. Um, and how many people had that story of like, oh man, or multiple of those stories like you, Ryan, like, yeah, something died in a root ball or down in this tight little ravine. And I just had to like cut as I went, but if I had a set of pulleys, right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that we're going to do really well with the pulleys. Um, but it's still just so, so much cheaper and faster as well. And that was kind of another thing like specific for us. Um, I want to have patent pending on, on the pulleys before we're selling them. Um, so it was a, a faster process to do that than to go through like a full blown non-provisional application. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So there's the provisional that's a cheaper, faster way to do things. Um, it will never get looked at and it'll never turn into a real patent. The non-provisional is what you need to file and submit. Um, but after you've done the provisional, that first cheap one you can do within that year long window, you can do a non-provisional. So it gives you a little bit of time, you know, buys you a little bit of time. It's, it's easier. It's faster to get things moving, uh, and cheaper, especially for the, you know, through the lens of that small business, you're testing something out. I think that's a great option. Hmm. And, and we did that at first with the quick sticks as well, did the um, provisional route and then found out, yeah, this is doing really well. Now let's do the non-provisional route. Okay. So you've already went through the other part of this. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and just this last winter, we, we got um, the, um, got granted a patent on the quick sticks. Nice. Um, so that was, that was super cool. Oh yeah. Did you do that application yourself as well? Um, that one I did. So I, I wrote the, the, the pinch pulleys I didn't just cause we're so busy now. I don't have the time to do it. Um, coming from oil and gas and the control systems design fairly technically minded. Um, so I had the technical chops to, you know, at least do my research and you know, the, the provisional was very confident in doing that. Um, and then even the non-provisional when that time came up like a year later, um, still had the time to do that. Um, so wrote the provisional and then it was like years later, then we got the first office action back. And at that point it's like, yeah, I don't have the time and arguing, arguing, debating with the examiner. I, I just don't feel equipped to do. So at that point, then we got a patent attorney involved and he argued with the examiner. Um, so are you paying for them to search to see if there's anything like that? You can, um, or, or is that just up for grabs and somebody's going to come after you if you, once it's like, yeah, it, it depends how you want to do it. Um, if you're like, I, I think everybody should do their own due diligence first. You can pay a patent attorney to do that sort of search as well. Um, there's no guarantee that they're going to find something though. So that's particularly sticky because you're paying the money to search for something without a guarantee. And like through that lens of the small business, usually it's guys that are uh, pretty deep in whatever hobby or industry it is that they're, they've got a vested interest in that thing. So that's why they're making a thing to serve that need. So as any listeners out there that are small business owners, you probably have a pretty good idea of your market and what else is out there. So you're probably the subject matter expert anyways, at least for an initial mm -hmm. search and then search, you know, Google patents or the USPTO site. Um, you need to do some of that looking as well. Um, what the hell is the examiner doing? So the examiner is like, you filled out the application, you submit it to the USPTO, US uh, Patents and Trademarks Office. And the examiner is um, an employee of that a government employee, I guess, um, who's examining that application to say, okay, this thing really is or really isn't novel. We're going to give you the patent or we're not going to give you the patent. Um, so they're looking at how, you know, if your invention actually is novel, like you're claiming it is, mm -hmm. um, and like largely beyond that too, they're looking at so much technical stuff. Like there's a lot of technical requirements on you know, the specification and the figures of your patent. So they're, they're scouring that as well. Um, but that's, that's what the examiner is doing. Gotcha. Like, Hey, we're going to give you a patent or we're not going to give you a patent. So they might, they'll do, um, I think it's normally two. There's like two, uh, um, rounds, I guess where they might, send comments back like, okay, no, we don't think that it is novel because of this reason, or you messed up, you know, this technical thing here and then send it back to you. And then you can fix those technical things that you did wrong and then argue back that, you know, this actually is novel because you're 
comparing us to this thing, but that's not really true. Or this is actually a, you know something you didn't quite understand about our invention that makes it unique. Um, so that's that's what the examiner is doing. So mm. they don't they don't care if they're looking to see if it's worthy, not necessarily if there's anything else on the market like it. I think all of the above. Yeah, I'd know. say all gotcha. the above. Interesting. Yeah. And it used to take such a long time because it was literally a guy who was going through categories and reading through paperwork, trying to see if there was anything that matched before computers and digital system, right? Like it took this big, long time. Yeah. And then it still takes the same fucking amount of time. It does take a while. So I think I'm trying to think what the like normal from your um, non-provisional application submitting until you get that first office action back, which is like the first time the examiners looked at it and then sends you like, hey, here's the issues we found. Um, I think it's typically on a utility patent, which would be like, you know, something novel, some novel mechanical feature on something like this action would be a utility patent. Um, I think those are typically between the three and six year window. That mm-hmm. you're, you're expected to wait that long wow. before yep. you get a first answer back. Yeah. I thought suppressors took forever. <laughs> well, I know now one year wait times like, oh, that's nothing. Actually, what are suppressor wait times now? What the it, gone down? Well, it was supposed to be three months when they were lying to you. It looks like about the new electronic like, system. They got a running like total looks like six to eight months still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, my first suppressor was 13 months. So that was a, an exercise in patience. Hmm. <laughs> it's taxidermists and suppressors. Yeah. I did file yeah. uh, I did it somewhat similar. I did a trademark application here very mm-hmm. recently, but I also don't have a ton of time. So I went through yep. like uh legal, legal zoom, legal mm-hmm. zoom. Okay. And you give them like an outline of what you're looking to do. And then they have their own attorneys. So you got to go through us. So you don't get the attorney first. Right. Yep. So you pay the application fee and they go through and the, the people walk you through everything on the phone. And you basically for like, I want to protect the word unknown in all the markets that we're in. Mm-hmm. So you pay a fee for each of the markets that it's in. And then they do, uh, they do their first research about the name and the, in the, in the industry and all that good stuff. They came with, mm-hmm. there was one other company that had to do with unknown and guns and they were in California, but their trademark was expiring like a week later. Nice. So I was the only one, but even then, even then they've already done all the research and everything application is submitted. takes a year, mm-hmm. still takes a year. Yep. But at that point, you can, you know, do trademark pending or whatever. You don't get yeah. to put the R until it's registered yeah. and all that good stuff. But, yeah, so I was interested after going through that process. It really wasn't hard on my side. You're paying them to do the majority of the work. They do all the paperwork for you and submit it and all that good stuff. Yep. But it wasn't expensive. It was, I think, 600 bucks to have LegalZoom do it. But then in each of the categories that I want to protect the name under, Every one of those was like three or 400 bucks. So by the time I got done with the application, I, I put it in everything I could possibly think of every category I could think of that we might get into. Mm-hmm. So it was quite expensive, Yeah, but uh, the application with the government was expensive, not yeah. the, the legal zoom side, but I know trademarks trade the way I understand it. I've, I've, I'm sorry, patents. I've, I've read a, quite a few patents now after we've, we've thought about getting into some other products that may or may not already have a patent. Yeah. And, I've realized that a patent is only as good as the person that writes it basically. And beyond and that, it's only as good as the owner's ability to defend it too. Unfortunately. Too. Yes. And, uh, which that for, sucks. Yeah. Through, through the lens of that small business again, that's a huge, um, <clears throat> caveat or clarification that probably should be thrown out there that I, I think any attorney is going to tell you, but if you're trying to do this yourself, maybe you haven't done the research to figure this out. Um, that patent, if you're granted it, is genuinely only as good as your ability to defend it. Yeah. So if some huge company comes in, it's like, okay, yeah, we're probably infringing on this on this guy's patent, but you know, he's some little like Joe Blow. Who's, we'll just throw some money at it. Yeah, he's making a quarter million dollars a year, and we're making tens of millions. Like, we'll just like drag this out in court fees and just drown him in in yeah. legal costs. Yeah, that helped. That happened early in the '90s in the archery side of the house. Mm-hmm. it's companies, big companies ripping off little companies and saying, all right, well, sue us. Yep. Yeah. It's such a small market to the, the market that we're in that, that word spreads fast. And, yeah. and there is a certain amount of uh face that you have to save. You know, you can't just, we're doing certain stuff. You can't just run out and knock somebody's stuff yes. off, you know, without, even then if you're big enough, they can't just kind of blow you aside and say, yeah, we'll deal with that later. I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. It's a tough market. Yeah. No, that's something that I've, I've thought particularly in uh, the hunting space is that, you know, I think most of these guys are in this space are solid dudes and owners of these businesses in general are solid dudes and, and wouldn't want to uh, 
um, you know, be a dick company and rip somebody else off. Mm. Um, not always the case, but that's my yeah, hope. Yeah. I, would, oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say from that 70, 30. Yeah. Yeah. 70% good guys, 30% dickheads. Yeah. Yeah. So Probably. far, I think, I think support like on our end, you know, we could have, we could have went to ADG for brass and said, Oh, I want to have unknown munitions head stamp on brass. Or I could have said, Hey, bat machine, I want to do a, a marking exception with the ATF. I want it to say unknown munitions on the side of the action. Mm-hmm. Since we started, I feel like supporting every one of those small businesses and exactly what they do is only helping the entire outdoor sector, you know, stay alive yep. and, and, mm-hmm. and let all everybody that has new ideas, you know, have an option to come mm-hmm. to market with it. And like, I'm not going to have these guys make a, a panhead when you make a badass panhead. I'd rather have you here and support you as a small business and sell your stuff because we don't make panheads, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And let, let people do what they're best at, like building a rifle. If you have a nose to butt rifle from one company, odds are that they are not the best at making every part on that rifle. Yep. There are badass stock manufacturers. There are badass action manufacturers and barrel manufacturers. And when you, try to do that all yourself. It's never going to be the best, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's actually like, we go back, talk about like binoculars that have a range finder and a ballistic calculator built into it. It's Make never going to be the best. You're compromising with one of those three tools, either the glass, the range finder capabilities or the ballistic calculator, mm-hmm. the engine that drives your solution. And yeah. So anyways, I, I believe that, that letting each person that's really good at what they do, you know, support that and, and, and grow and foster that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like in life. No one can do it all. That's right. Like and if nothing. you look like you're doing it all, you're not. Oh, man. Something's dropping somewhere. All of this can't happen with all you're, the badass people that are working background. here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram isn't real. <laughs> it's not? No. It's a facade. <laughs> I'm not on Instagram. I don't. Yeah. I actually don't do social media. <laughs> yeah. Wiser Precision doesn't have well, an Instagram page? Wiser oh, does. Do. Personally, I don't. I haven't posted anything or we, we haven't attempt. posted anything on uh social <laughs> like We're since christmas on it. maybe i know we need to business needs to be better about that from like a personal standpoint yeah. uh social media just isn't i did all that myself from day one and then it got to the point where I, you know the post happened like once a week or something mm-hmm. like that and then you can finally do something like luke yeah and then let you know let luke manage it and, uh, and then it goes back to we just posted a picture with with a rifle on your, on your head. So you could have reposted that. I know I could have, if I was on social media, all I probably would have seen it and probably would have done that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. There's only so much time. And I see it and then a kid wakes up. So nothing happens either. Out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's all I really had. Do you have anything more, Jake? No. Did you cover everything you wanted to people to hear? Anything we missed? That was fun chat. Yeah. How can, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So, uh, email is the best way you can shoot, you know, on our, on our website, we have a contact page so you can fill out a contact form or you can just email us directly support at wiserprecision.com. Okay. Uh, either of those, but email is definitely the, the most reliable way. If you do, like if you are one of the social media people and you can send a social media post, we probably won't get to it for a few days. Instagram's better than Facebook on that. And am I safe to say that, that unknown munitions is now carrying your panhead? Uh, I think that you guys probably will. Nice. No, no, that, that was a pol- the most <laughs> political answer I've heard in a while. Yes. Uh, possibly quite, maybe. Possibly quite, maybe. No, I think that's a yes. <laughs> All right. Um, we have to do a giveaway. And Luke, okay. Luke sent it to me. Uh-huh. We're giving away a swag bag. If you leave a review, we're going to start giving away every podcast. So you have 20 days. And it'll actually happen now because Ryan won't be in charge of it. Shit, no, don't. If I have to ship something, you're fucked. <laughs> All right, so Dylan, Dylan9878 left us a review on Apple Podcasts. It says, love it. As a newcomer to the shooting world, this podcast is perfect. Binged almost all the episode in just a few days. Keep them coming. You have 20 days, 20 days from today. Where did that number come from? Because we don't want to have to be on the hook forever. Yeah, but where did the number 20, that's such a weird number. Like make it like two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or a month. That sounds a lot better. Dylan, you have 20 days. (laughs) You have a month, Dylan. It's Monday. It's Monday, the 22nd of May. You have 20 days to email us your address at podcast at shoot to hunt. And we'll send you a swag bag. Jake, Jake will personally pack the swag bag and send yes. it to us, which he won't, but we'll no. just say he is. <laughs> Dylan 9878. Send us an email. Thank you for leaving a review. Yes. Thank you very much. And again, leave us reviews. Only good ones. Don't leave us no bullshit one. One stars. 
We want 4.5s or above. <laughs> Shane, Kayla. Thanks anything for coming else? on. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else? Well, we'll thank close you for having us. us. You guys are fun. It's, fun. Hey, thank you for drinking my bourbon. Thank you for letting me drink your bourbon. I'm I appreciate so it. I'm so happy somebody finally did. Thanks for listening.